Welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem, Eric Scopel, Jared Mack on the show. Welcome to your Monday edition of the podcast Mailbag. Uh, we've got a lot to talk about. I'm assuming a lot of it is going to be playoff-centric uh, because we are at that point. Two weeks left in the season. Oregon's playing probably the second-best team in the league in Utah this weekend. Prime opportunity to make a statement to improve your position for the college football playoff. And there's probably this, this is probably the best chance that Oregon has to, to lose a game as well. So playoff centric talk here on the podcast. Yeah, we've got a lot of questions submitted this week. Uh, appreciate it from a listener perspective. We're, we're again, continuing to get a lot. It's going to be some Utah talk. As Matt said, some playoff talk. And we'll get to some kind of fun stuff at the back end. Well, maybe fun is subjective, but enjoyable content, I think, to discuss. All right. Uh, first off, one from Balabono91. What are the chances of beating Utah twice? Our passing game is frustrating. Being this run dependent makes does making does being this run dependent make the Ducks vulnerable at Utah. Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, let's start the first part there. Chances of beating Oregon twice. I, I what do we think? Um, Matt has I think said a couple times that this game in Salt Lake is the most likely loss on the schedule. I would agree. You know, you, if, if, regardless of the outcome of this game, Oregon will play Utah. More than likely, It'd be very, very. Un- Basically, Oregon would have to lose to Oregon State, and Oregon State would have to win this week. A bunch of weird stuff would have to happen for it not to be in the Pac-12 Conference Championship game. So there will probably be a repeat meeting, and that will be at a neutral site in Las Vegas. Um, so we'll see how that plays out. But I feel pretty good. I mean, maybe I'm still riding the highs of Oregon playing. I would say, if not its best, one of its best games of the season against Washington State. Utah just had one of its less impressive weekends, especially since making the quarterback change. Um, these games with Utah and Oregon have been really competitive. Um, and of course, Utah has added motivation of, they go back to 2019 and can say, they would have made the college football playoff if Oregon hadn't knocked them out okay. in the Pac-12 championship game. And they're gonna try to do the exact opposite here. You know, They're gonna try to be the ones knocking out uh, a team from the playoff like Oregon did a couple of years ago. So the motivations are very much you understand why there are strong motivations for you, but not just to win this game, but to prove a point. Um, I just kind of think Oregon's better. Um, and so I, I think the, ch- the chances are okay. They're pretty good. I'd like say maybe 60, 65, 70% somewhere in that range. I'm not going to go higher than that because Utah's a really good football team and Oregon has yet to play like a full four quarters of consistent football. Um, and they're going to need to probably show more of that than what they've shown recently. If they're going to hopefully, you know, maneuver through the schedule undefeated. I, I agree that the Oregon State game, I feel pretty good about that based on how the Beavers are playing. But what do we think, guys? Chances of beating Utah, not just once, but twice. And I think obviously that adds some difficulty to this whole thing. I think if you eliminate the home field advantage and these two teams play in the Pac-12 championship game, um, I am very confident that Oregon wins that game. Um I think going to Rice Eccles Stadium is always going to be difficult, uh, especially in late November. Um, I think this game is a 5.30 kick their time. Is that right? Or, or is it? Their time. I, I always get confused at what time it is in the mountains at this point of the year. Um, it's 4.30 our time out west. But I feel like if I, I hate doing percentages, but it's like 60-40, 65 35, my confidence in picking Oregon on Saturday to win this football game. Like, they play 10 times. They probably win 
six and a half to seven of those games. Uh, they're the more talented team by far on paper. Um, they also are equally – they play the same style of offense too, it feels like. Oregon's really good against the run. Uh, Oregon's a really good run team. Utah's really good against the run. Utah's a really good run team. Um, so it's kind of style on style, and in those types of outcomes, typically the team that's deeper, more talented – is the one that wins, and that should be Oregon. So I, I think as long as Oregon doesn't come out and has just a putrid start to a game offensively, um, like we saw at Stanford, um, like we saw at UCLA, they should win this game. And my, my feeling is, is this team always seems to play really good in the biggest moments of the season. And this is probably – the biggest moment today outside of that Ohio State game. Yeah, that's a good point. This is definitely the biggest moment outside of that Ohio State game. Um, you know, this is something that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now in terms of what's the game where Oregon could potentially lose headed down the stretch. Um, that's still the case. Uh, like Eric said, I, I, I feel confident as well against Oregon's chances against Oregon State just because of the way the Beavers have been playing the last couple of weeks. Um, but yeah, Utah is the second best team in the Pac-12. This is exactly what you want in terms of like a, a, an important playoff potential game. Um, this it, every day it looks like it's headed towards this. They'll play them twice. Um, in terms of answering the question of my like the percent, the chances of beating them twice, I think I'd go somewhere in like the sixty to seventy percent range. Um, basically, to all the points that Matt just laid out, like. Oregon is uh, a better team talent-wise. Uh, I think they're playing a little bit better football right now. Utah had an almost clunker against Arizona where that game was pretty close for most of the game. Um, granted, Oregon also had a pretty close game against Arizona this year. Uh, but I think I think that team in terms of – or meaning Oregon's team that played Arizona, I don't think that's this team anymore. I think they're a much different overall unit, um, which is – Weird to say because that you know, just a few weeks ago that happened, but yeah, they're playing they're playing at a very high level right now. Um, I talked about this on the post game podcast against Washington State, where this is like three of the last four weeks. Anthony Brown has had really good performances. Um, I just take away the Washington game, but then again, like due to the conditions, like, no quarterback was going to have a good game out there. Um, Utah's a really good team too. They got a, They always have a stout defense. Um, their rushing defense isn't great this year, which I think is a huge advantage for Oregon. Usually Utah's rush D is just one of the better in, in the conference and sometimes even in the country. Uh, and in 2019, I think they were giving up like 65 yards per game on the ground right. before they met Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, which yeah, Oregon quadrupled. So, uh, I, I mean – Oregon's had Utah's number last couple of years. Um, I think they get it again come Saturday. Obviously, the the away game and the, the end of a conference season is always difficult for the road team. Um, but I think Oregon gets up for this game on Saturday. I really do. And they need to, obviously, to continue their uh, test for the playoffs. And um, they need to, if they do win, they need to win at least convincingly. Um, but I do like Oregon's chances. I do feel like they are kind of clicking right now. They're 
beginning to fire on most of their cylinders. We still haven't seen a full full game yet since Ohio State, where they from quarters one through four, they they were really good offensively and defensively. But I'm not sure if they necessarily need that to beat Utah. I think they could do like a two and a half, three quarters were kind of against you know Washington State and just be all right and get out of get out of Utah with a win. By the way, that Arizona game was like eight weeks ago, which which is great. <laughs> like, so weird. You said a few weeks ago, and I was like, "Wait, was it a few weeks ago?" I was like, "No, it was actually like pre by It feels it feels like yesterday, man. <laughs> um, and then the other point I was going to make is that we were talking after the Washington State game, which also feels like a month ago, but was actually like a day and a half ago, real time. Um, <laughs> um, about like who's the second best opponent, third best, like where does Washington State stack up? Utah is quite clearly the second best team Oregon will have faced yeah. this season. Um, and by yes. a pretty wide margin, especially the way Fresno State has played the last couple weeks. I know they got to win this last week over New Mexico, but I was even maybe not. I, I mean, I shouldn't diminish. I think they won by quite a large margin, but New Mexico's not very good. So I, this is a tough opponent here. This is a step up from what Oregon has seen. Recently, um, the game with Washington State and Utah was actually pretty close. Both those teams were kind of figuring out their quarterback situation. Delora did not play for Washington State. I think that was Rising's first or second start as the, as the quarterback. So that result, kind of an interesting one to reflect upon because I do think those are two of the, the tougher teams in this league. All right. Real quick, real quick. We should note Utah is dealing with injuries. Their starting center suffered a serious injury against Arizona. Their nickelback who starts, he suffered a serious injury against Arizona, and then their cornerback, um, one of their star quarterbacks, has also suffered an injury. And then at running back, Tavion Thomas did not play against mm-hmm. Ari- against Arizona. That That is – these are storylines to note is Utah is coming in – look, every team's banged up right now. But, but Utah is coming in with serious injury questions at key positions that could play big factors in who wins this game. Yeah, no, good points, and we'll – We'll follow up on that throughout the week. We'll have a Utah expert at some point this week. Uh, we took a break with Washington. We had a good, I think, a really good expert, Washington State. Now we'll bring back one of the Utah uh, Ute Zone guys. Yeah, Steve Bartle is going to be on the show on on, when, on Thursday. All right, I didn't want to say Steve's name in case it was a second another person. We love <laughs> I love Steve. He's a great guy. We'll have a really good show later this week with him talking all Utah stuff, including some of the injury stuff. Uh, next one. From at Robbie Parnes, the Ducks clearly want to be in control and run the ball in the fourth quarter. How confident are you in their ability to use tempo and pass if they get behind? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, well, we've seen them have to come from behind before, we should note, and with some success. Um, you know, the, the one game they have lost was a game where that was not the circumstances, right? Like they, they actually had the advantage against Stanford. Things went awry in the fourth quarter. We've talked about that so much that we don't have to run through it all. Um, and then in overtime, they had their their own struggles, but that was sort of a. I don't really consider that to be a pass only situation. The game was you know tied basically. They had to try to get a touchdown. They couldn't. Um, obviously, that is not the situation they'd prefer to be in, right? Like I think we all understand that, and I'm sure Mario Cristobal would say that straight up. I mean, he wouldn't say that they're afraid of a challenge of, of having to come back late. But this is a team in an offense that's built around running the football, and if it is a situation where they're down three points, seven points, whatever it is in a two-minute drill, that um, removes some of the ability to do what they do best, which is run the football. Um, Anthony Brown has played pretty darn well in most clutch moments, though. And so I have some confidence there. Um, 
tempo is something we really just haven't seen. So I, I don't know how to answer that part. But obviously, if you're in a two-minute drill, you're, you are moving with a little bit more pace. Um, I don't expect we'll see Oregon really ever run out of like a tempo situation unless they're really far behind. Um, and I mean true tempo of like four seconds after the ball is placed and they snap it. This is a team that doesn't move with that kind of speed really at all, um, or at least hasn't shown a desire to do so um, very often. Um, but passing the football, like – I will also say that I, I think Anthony Brown is quite clearly playing his best football as a quarterback, and you can remove the Washington game, and I think that's deserving. I know that sounds like I'm moving the goalposts, but that was very unique weather circumstances for Anthony and for both quarterbacks yeah. in the game, and I think it was pretty clear that had an inverse impact on passing. Um, you mean it's not like Madden? It's not like Madden, yeah. It's not like Madden. Even in Madden, you get a little bit of resistance now. They, they, they've upped the, uh, the gameplay. Um, but, like, you just think back to the last – and I'll, I'll say the Cal game is, let's call it, quote-unquote, the turning point. That was the game when he was booed. Even the stats there aren't terrible. But UCLA, Colorado, and then this past weekend, even though they didn't have a lot of yardage accumulated, but I like you go back and watch it. He made some pretty critical throws and big moments. On th- mm-hmm. A couple third down throws that were big. Um, obviously, late in the game, the pass I thought was really significant. It was a second and 12, but hitting Chris Hudson to pick up 18 yards, that sets up. Um, the drive that or the touchdown, the first Byron Cardwell touchdown to put him up two scores again. So, like, he's had his moments. Um, of course, you'd prefer to have Oregon playing with the lead, but I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, if let's say Oregon's down three points with two minutes to go and they need to drive the length of the field, like, what's your what's your confidence level on when these guys getting it done? Pretty good. Um, I, I think a big part of the stigma that duck fan has with Anthony Brown is that they, they don't look at the fact that he's accumulating consistently about 230, 280, somewhere in that range, sometimes more than that of total yardage, but it's not just all passing. Everyone is so used to an Oregon quarterback being a gunslinger and being able to throw for 285 every single game. And on a really good day, going near 400. Um, and I hearken back to 2009 uh, when I said this early on in the year that Anthony Brown reminds me a lot of Jeremiah Mazzoli. And the stats are very, very similar right now from the 2009 season. And that 2009 team, they had to come back to beat Purdue. They had to come back uh, to beat Utah. They had to come back and I, I believe – beat Arizona state and they had to come back and they had to beat Arizona. They had to come back to beat Oregon state or no, they they dominated Oregon state. Excuse me. Um, And I know different, different systems We're comparing apples to oranges, but like you said, Eric, this team has shown Anthony Brown has shown in the fourth quarter. He is very, very good. And Mm -hmm. this team is very, very clutch. And so as long as they're not down two scores with five minutes to go in the game. I feel confident that they can come back from any kind of deficit, um, unless it's just a clear on blowout right. that that they face. Just because we've we've seen them play really really good, and if they need a touchdown, they've got three timeouts and they've got three minutes to go, four minutes to go. They can still run the football and go the length of the football field and score points. And they're consistent. They're getting better throwing the football. Anthony Brown has had some of his better throws from an individual standpoint in all of the last three or four games. So, you know, I, I really think 
there's confidence in, in Oregon being able to, to make a come from behind victory if needed. Yeah, I agree. Um, my, I think my confidence level in this hypothetical with two minutes left down by three, I feel pretty good about it. I still feel, I mean, I, I think I would feel better if they had all three timeouts, but again, now we're now we're really hypothetical here. Um, but they have, they I have think two timeouts, Jared. They have two. Two timeouts. Let me think about it a little more. Um, no, I still feel good. Um, the the thing with the thing with Oregon is they're always just going to run the ball, and that's all right because Travis Dye and then now Byron Cardwell are and Anthony Brown too. I mean, they're like I don't know, at some points during the season they're all the three of those guys are like an automatic five yard gain, and you couple that with a couple. 15-yard passes, and Oregon can suddenly move the ball really fast. And you saw that against Colorado, honestly. That was one of the better offensive performances they've had this year. Right. And, you know, they, they went down the field and scored every single drive. So you know, that's that's the level they can be at. They can put up a 50-burger if they need to. And that's, that's why you should be confident in this team is that they have that. They don't always show it. But if they get into an early game rhythm, especially with Brown passing the ball, they can compete with anybody in the Pac-12 in terms of scoring. They have the talent. They have the weapons. We've known that all year long. Um, Utah's defense is pretty good this year, but it's certainly not as good as it has been in years prior. And I think that's a huge point. Um, they, Utah plays a physical brand of football, and as does Oregon. But I still feel like Oregon's physical prowess is a higher level than Utah's. And their offensive line has been – Oregon's offensive line, excuse me, has been really, really good the last month and has provided Anthony Brown with a lot of protection. Um, Washington State has some really good or really good edge rushers. I think they had one sack all game against A.B. Um, obviously, you know, they didn't, they didn't throw it a lot, just 22 times. But Brown still completed 17 attempts um, in the second half. He had some – really good throws, just stepping up and throwing it over the middle of the field. He had that one to Johnny Johnson. He had the Chris Hudson one, like Eric like mentioned. Um, I'll bring this up again, the, the, the step up in the pocket and then the throw almost on the run down to Troy Franklin down the sideline. Yeah. It's a really good throw. Um, Franklin didn't come down with it. Happens, but Brown, A, threw the ball. And that's something he probably wasn't going to do earlier in the year. But he took the shot. B, he put it exactly where it needed to be to Franklin high, let Franklin use his height. And C, it, that, that shows a little bit more confidence from Brown now. And so I think that's a good thing looking forward in this, in this hypothetical where Oregon is down. Um, they have the guys to get it done. And obviously it all stems on if Anthony can make the throws. Right now, I mean, my, my opinion on him has changed very much in the last month just from seeing – um, him control the offense at a much better rate, much better pace, more confidence stepping up in the pocket, setting his feet, all of that. He has clearly improved a lot in the last month. And that's huge for Oregon's offense going forward. That's huge for Oregon's offense in this game. And it's huge for Oregon's offense in this hypothetical two-minute scenario. I think this is where I've, met, I've said this before. Mario Cristobal and this Oregon style, they do not – play a game in a system where they're going to consistently get these 49 to 10 victories over the Washington state programs. But the way that they play, they are, they have shown they will be in every single game, whether mm -hmm. it's 
a five and four team or a nine and one team that's a top five program. They they are going to they, they play a system that keeps them in the game every time you go into that fourth quarter knowing you can win the game. I think it's notable with Anthony, and you mentioned the confidence to throw the ball downfield a little bit. I don't think he's not looking over his shoulder anymore. Um, Cristobal right. has made it very clear that even with fans challenging his status as a starting quarterback, that doesn't matter with booze taking place, with us on this podcast suggesting he shouldn't be the quarterback, you know, with others saying the same sort of thing. Mario stuck with his guy. It's worked out. And I think you're seeing more confidence from Anthony Brown, mm-hmm. just having that sort of um, that vote of confidence from his head coach. And again, we, we have been critical at times of Mario Cristobal's personnel decisions. This has been a really good year for him in terms of making decisions that weren't popular. Think about Camden Lewis. You think about some of the stuff on the offensive line that we were critical of and fans were critical of. Why isn't this high recruit playing? Why are they playing a lock on over that guy? seems like almost every single one of those has been we were it's worked yeah every single one of those that fans if they want to be honest and reflecting upon it kind of have some egg on their face trust the coach we on this podcast trust the coach he's he's i think made a made a really good name for himself this year in terms of making those decisions and that was something we have been critical in the past all right third one from hodges underscore ryan would it be enough for oregon to simply win the next possible three games or do they need to win by a certain margin style points to ensure their spot in the playoffs. Um, I'll just answer that with a question of who are you afraid of actually jumping Oregon to the point where they're number five? I understand the concern with Ohio State. I think that's legitimate. I I actually think if both Oregon and Ohio State win out, there's probably pretty good odds the Buckeyes do jump Oregon. Um, My thing is now with Oklahoma losing, I think that's a huge, that's a huge advantage for Oregon with Oklahoma now out of the picture that an undefeated big 12 team that was going to get sort of dicey towards the back end. I don't see Cincinnati jumping Oregon. I don't see Notre Dame jumping Oregon. I don't see some other hypothetical big 12 team, whether it be Oklahoma state or Baylor has two losses. So it can't be then I don't yeah. see any teams behind jumping them really. So I think it is at this point, as simple as you went out and you're in, the only way style points really matters to me is getting off of that number four seed. And that will also somewhat depend upon what happens with Alabama and Georgia ahead of you. But if you want to avoid Georgia, which I think everyone should try to avoid as much as possible, because that's a that's a wrecking ball team right there. You don't want to play that team. That is where maybe the style points do matter, because if you can get to be in that two, three game and avoid Georgia, to me, that's a big win. Um, I, I actually feel better than I have. Since we since we got the first batch of playoff rankings, I guess that was only a couple weeks ago. But I feel better about the idea that Oregon actually does control its own destiny right, right now. And a huge part of that is what's happened the last two weeks where you see some undefeated ACC teams drop. You see Michigan State drop a game. We now know between Michigan and Ohio State, one of those teams is going to lose. Michigan State or Ohio State, one of those teams is going to lose. And then you have Oklahoma exiting the picture. I don't see a team that will jump Oregon to push them off of four if Oregon wins out. Yeah, I mean, the way Oregon gets jumped is a perfect scenario for every other team out there to basically win out. And as we know in college football, chaos happens in November. It's hard to win in November. And so you're asking for for Oregon to get leaped. You're asking for a perfect scenario across like five or six different teams to play out, which just doesn't happen. Um, like you noted, Oklahoma losing is huge. Um, I do wonder 
what would uh, 11 and one Oklahoma state team that gets to their, their conference championship and wins big, like if they blow out Oklahoma and then they blow out whoever they play in the, in the big 12 championship game, maybe they're in that discussion. Um, Cause they will have played some, some top teams down the stretch. But even then that's very wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, if, okay. if all we're talking about is, Hey, get in don't matter what ranking you have what seed you have one through four yeah they could win the next three games utah on the road oregon state at home pac 12 championship game they could win those three games by a combined victory margin of three points and still get into the college football playoff in my eyes mm -hmm. here's so my thing with oklahoma state is you know, they just got off a win and an oklahoma loss and then those two games still play bedlam you know later in the later in the month you know, we're recording this before Tuesday's, you know, new updated college football playoff selection committee and their rankings, but they're number 10 in the country. Yeah, I really think they're going to jump six spots. Yeah. And that's jumping. Obviously, Oklahoma's going to fall and Oklahoma State will move up, but they still have to jump Notre Dame, Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, Cincinnati. Um, Obviously, the Big Ten is going to be chaos down the stretch with Michigan State's schedule and Ohio State and all that good stuff. And that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I'll tell you what, I'm excited for those games. But the Oklahoma State's in a tough spot. Like They really have to have a lot of things go their way. Um, like Matt said, it's hard to win in November. We're assuming that Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma, and we don't know. Maybe Oklahoma finds something with Spencer Rattler or Caleb Williams figures it out. We don't know. Um, we also don't know about Oregon. They still have to win all of their games. Um, right. I'm not saying I'm like expecting them to lose or anything like that, but you know, we've all seen crazier things. You know, we all probably expected Oregon to beat Arizona State in 2019. That didn't happen. Um, so that's the fun of college football. Um, to, to answer the question, though, if if Oregon does win out, win their final three games, um, and the Pac-12 championship game, presumably over Utah again. Yeah, I think that they're in. I think I've been saying this the whole time. It's that they do control their own destiny. And I think what really matters is how Ohio State finishes the year, because that's the only team I'm afraid of. And afraid being a very loose term. Um, of jumping Oregon, you mean? Yes, yeah. Cincinnati, I don't think so. No. I, I mean, I, it's a great story. Love Cincinnati. Never been, but I heard it's a great place. Uh, they've had a great year, but they are a group of five team. And this is what happens to group of five teams. They just don't don't get in. Their, their resume is never as good as – their resume isn't even as good as Oregon's. And Oregon plays in the Pac-12, which is the weakest conference in the country. And you know, the ACC is right there too, don't get me wrong. But – I'm not afraid of Cincinnati. Uh, the Big Ten has to go through all their stuff. So six and seven in Michigan, Michigan State. Who knows what's going to happen there? It's it's Ohio State or bust to me. I'm a little afraid of Notre Dame just because of the Notre Dame name. But then again, they don't have a conference championship game. They, well, they play some cupcakes down the stretch. Here, here's why Notre Dame doesn't get in is because they lost the head-to-head -to, -head to Cincinnati. They lost, right. Yeah, they lost to Cincinnati. So they would have to leapfrog them. And the committee has, the committee has shown that they – do value a head to head. And I know like, and I know Michigan is in front of Michigan state, but I still feel like that's just uh, an instant reaction from Michigan state dropping a game to unranked Purdue and getting blown out doing it really bad. Um, 
Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I think it's really, honestly, the only team to be afraid of is Ohio State. They, they still have a couple of games against you know, ranked opponents and then the Big Ten championship game. Um, the game against Michigan will be another uh, top 10 victory if they are to win. Um, I think the ideal scenario for Oregon is obviously winning out. Um, I, I, I kind of expect Ohio State to win out. They're, they're just playing really good football right now. If Alabama loses in the SEC championship game, they'll be out of the playoffs. And that'll basically open up three spots because Alabama's going to hold on to that number two seed until the conference championship game. And if they beat Georgia hypothetically, then, you know, that's Georgia's not falling out of the top four. They've been one or two basically all year long. And that only that only gives two spots for the rest of the remaining, you know, everybody in the country. So having three obviously is better than having two, um, but it all depends on if Oregon wins. That's the only thing that matters in this scenario. Yeah, I, I feel more confident that Oregon loses a game over their next three than Oregon winning their next three and getting jumped by somebody. Jump by enough. I think jump by enough teams to get pushed out of the playoff. I yeah. still yeah. think the Ohio State yeah. probably. I think Ohio State probably ends up getting yeah. either either it happens or it's. Yeah, I think it'll happen by the end. Honestly, um, that's where I was going. Is yeah. that like? I just think there's a better chance that they lose a game and it doesn't matter right. than a, so many teams jumping them and Oregon wins out and they're not in the playoff. I just can't. I just can't see that part happening where they get jumped enough. And again, I just want to say the saving grace for this season. This is why you schedule these non-conference games. Is if Oregon was undefeated right now and played Bowling Green and beat them as opposed to Ohio State yep. in Columbus, Oregon would be probably on the outside looking in. They would have a resume not even as impressive as Cincinnati as an undefeated, and they'd be sitting there going like, we haven't lost all season. What do we have to do? But the conference schedule would weigh them down so much. That win against Ohio State is so beautiful. They'd be in Oklahoma scenario. Yeah, they would have been in the used to be yeah. previous Oklahoma scenario where they would probably be eight or nine right now, despite being undefeated and going, well, what do we have to do to get respect? And the answer is, it seems like play these non-conference games. And if you win them, you give yourself an opportunity. Um, because again, I just don't, this team would be in a really different spot, even if they're undefeated right now, but didn't have that victory. That victory is carrying their resume, um, which is also why I feel like that win will Trump is kind of their Trump card against a lot of these other teams trying to come up because you go, well, Oregon has a win. That's just a lot better than anything you guys have. All right. Let's get the show on the boat. Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'd, one more quick thought. Mm-hmm. If Oregon had lost the game to Ohio state, you know, that's like one of the better losses in the country. That's how Ohio state is looking at it too. They lost to number three, Oregon. Right. So yeah, they're eight one, but they're ahead of Cincinnati because their one loss is to number three, Oregon. And if Oregon were to lose and went out the rest of the way, they'd be eight and one with a loss to, you know, number three or number four, Ohio State. So it's a good look on their resume no matter what. Oregon probably still has the best win in the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Number four from at Duck, Y-O Duck. What are the chances Travis Dye jumps to the NFL? And what about C.J. Verdell staying? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Um, kind of an interesting question. I'm going to throw it to Matt because he had uh, some information in his uh, weekly column, uh, The War Room, a couple of days ago. But just kind of, I wanted to frame it this way. It's kind of funny because going into the season, we thought the inverse was most likely of, hey, maybe Travis Dye comes back for another season and, and finally he gets his shot with the show. And CJ Verdell, man, he's been around forever. He's taken so much, so many carries. Why would he come back? The fact that this is even the way the question is asked right now is sort of, it's kind of funny just considering where things are at. I'll let you take it by Matt. Yeah, I mean, I, there's definitely 
um, so on, you know, no one knows what CJ Verdell is doing right now. And there is a belief that he could maybe come back, right? He's at least entertaining the idea of coming back next season. Um, personally, that, that, you know, not just my own opinion of what he should do, that, that would be against what I would advise. I would say go. Um, but nonetheless, there's a possibility right for right now, at least that he could be back in uniform next season. Um, as for Travis Dye, I think it's a valid question. Um, you know, Mel Kuyper of ESPN, he recently released his position big boards, you know, top 10 for each position group ahead of the NFL draft and had Travis Dye ahead of CJ Verdell in the top 10. Um, both guys were on the, the top 10. Verdell was 10th and, and Dye was 8th. Um, you know, I, I think I've said that either on here or I just asked through privately. Like, I think Dye could could make the NFL in some capacity, whether it's being drafted or undrafted free agent makes the team as kind of that third down, you know, passing running back and guy that does special team stuff. Um, it's crazy, like you said, Eric, like he doesn't really – have one trait from like a speed physical standpoint where he's just elite. Um, maybe his, maybe his vision or his, his cut back ability. His, his, um, footwork, his footwork is really good. I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but there, you know, he's not your typical guy where you're like, Oh wow. He's six foot, 215 pounds. And if he right. gets in the open field, he's gone um, type deal. But I think, I think he has a case to, to maybe at least explore this. He should explore this. Um, because look what he's doing, 14 total touchdowns uh, in this season. Um, I think 11 of those have, have come on, on the ground. Um, he's had career-high performances and rushing multiple times, most recently against UW when everyone and their mother knew every play he was getting the ball and UW still could not stop him. Um, I, 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 I've been more than impressed and think, yeah, he probably should explore – those options because he's probably got a chance to, to, to latch on to a team. Anything to share, Jared? I'm, I, I, I don't know if I were Travis Dye, I probably wouldn't go to the NFL. I, I, he's, he's a very interesting player. I'm sure he gets a lot of buzz just because of his talent and his skill set. Um, but his physical intangibles, you know, we, we've been talking about this for years now. He doesn't look like look the part of a running back, but damn, is he good? Um, so he's going to get a lot of buzz, and I, I think deservedly so. He still has an extra year of eligibility. Um, if he comes back, he's probably he's easily the running back number one for Oregon next year. Um, Cardwell has solidified himself pretty much as like the returning number two. Um, and then you still have you know, Trey Benson, Sean Dollars, and Seven McGee, and Sean Dollars will be healthy. But yeah, it's just, it's an interesting idea. Um, I think I think it would make sense for him to come back and use his last year, and but then again, I don't know what else he's going to improve on, I mean, unless he's just looking for straight stats and, and moving up on Oregon's all-time leaderboard. Uh, wouldn't yeah, be I, too many reasons to come back. Yeah, I don't, I don't like unless it's purely leaving a legacy at Oregon, which may be something that does matter. You think about the guys and the way they've right. been, been in this program for so long. I, I also would say like. He's not physically that impressive. Is he going to really? Is that going to be a huge shift with another year back? Because I think the rest of it is is there. I mean, in terms of he's an incredibly uh, active and, and reliable pass catcher. He's great with the ball in his hands. I think his work is, is fantastic. Um, 
I would imagine he can translate these skill sets pretty naturally to the NFL as a third down running back. I mean, the NFL mm-hmm. right now, he's not going to be a primary number one running back. Most likely. I don't want to totally discount it. Maybe things shift for him, but with his size and the way the NFL works, he feels like that perfect complimentary guy that comes out and runs routes on third down for you and plays, you know, 15, 25 snaps per game, gets four or five catches, you know, turns those catches into the most he can. And, and maybe he returns kicks or punts for you. Like that feels like sort of what die can be. And I don't know if coming back to Oregon necessarily improves much of that. Cause I think he's already had so much time in college. So I don't know. I think it'll be an interesting one to follow. Both those guys would be interesting to follow. Um, Oregon should have a, a, a good representation of players drafted in, in the 2022 NFL draft in spring. I'm I'm going to change my change my thoughts. I think he should go. I think there's no reason to come back. Go. honestly, yeah, and he's done it all. He's shown you can do it all. He's it's honestly he's probably never going to have a better season than this because he is running back number one. And if he comes back and gets hurt, that's he's screwed. So go, Travis. Go. It's very much like Brady Breeze. Um, yeah. After the 2019 season, where Breeze had just an insane like five game stretch, and it was like, yeah, you're going to come back and you're going to share the role. Maybe you're going to be the starter, but you're going to share the role. But you have no chance to replicate what you did over those five or six games, over 13 or 14 games in 2020. Um, so that's why I thought it was totally fine for Brady Breeze to go. Now I do think if Die does come back, like. And Verdell is gone. I do think he can replicate a little bit of what he's doing right now. But yeah. like Jared said, if he does get hurt, he's screwed. Um, but what I was going to say is even if both guys go pro, this kind of goes away from the question, I still feel really good about the position because what we've seen from yeah. Byron Cardwell the last three games, um, I, I think he has shown that Oregon is in a good place from a starting running back position next season. So if, if Verdell and I come back, that's probably from an Oregon centric perspective, best case scenario. If die comes back, you're totally fine. He's going to be good enough to, to be the best running back in the conference. And if he goes to with Verdell, you've got Cardwell waiting in the wings who has shown over the last three games, he can be a thousand yard rusher and a primary running back for a really good team. Absolutely. Big Cardwell fan on this podcast. I think we all are. Um, I'm sure we'll have more Cardwell talk as we move forward throughout the rest of the season. Last couple, one from at Dylan A. Hoffman. Out of anyone in the current top 10, if Oregon were to make the playoffs, who are the top one or two teams you would feel confident in playing in the playoffs? Hashtag Osh, I almost pronounced it really wrong. Ots and audibles. Sorry, I'm still tired from that. Was a late night on Saturday, and they covered a basketball game Sunday, making excuses, and I'll stop. Um, no, I, I think this is an interesting one. Um, the easy answer is, hey, they've already beaten Ohio State once, so there's a team that they know they can beat. I would also say that's not anywhere near the easiest team in the top ten to beat. Um, which again speaks to why you have confidence in Oregon, maybe making a somewhat of a run here, is because Ohio State's better than. A lot of these teams after the top four, I, I, I think um, Notre Dame's a team I wouldn't hate to see Oregon play. I think Oregon is just better and their style of play would be a difficult matchup for Notre Dame. Um, I think, shoot, I wouldn't mind just seeing Oklahoma State. I'm still not totally sold on them. I know they had a predominant win over the weekend here that that sort of shored up some concerns after they've kind of been up and down recently losing some games or losing a game, I should say. Um, but like 
yeah, maybe give me another one of those Big Ten teams. Give me Michigan State or Michigan. Oregon has already proven it can beat Ohio State, which is the best of that bunch. I think Ohio State's going to prove that its next couple of weeks. Obviously, those teams won't be in the playoffs. Um, thing is, we talk about top 10 as kind of being the scope to choose from here. I, I think that's maybe sort of misleading because a lot of the teams I just ran through have a very slim chance of actually making the playoff and facing Oregon. The teams you really have to worry about right now are Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, and then probably Cincinnati um, are the teams to really be kind of available, you know, aware of. And I would say out of those schools, pretty easily Cincinnati is the team I would like to see Oregon face from a most winnable game perspective. Again, Ohio State is a team Oregon's beaten. That's a very talented team. Ohio State is a team that looks like they're improving. Oregon looks like it's improving too. I actually be curious to see what these teams look like on a neutral field in like you know five or six weeks to see what kind of the development over the course of a season would be. That would be kind of fun. In my head, I'm kind of like, wouldn't it be kind of fun if it was, you know, Oregon versus Ohio State in one of the semifinals, and then an Alabama Georgia rematch in the other semifinal? I mean, that could be kind mm-hmm. of a fun way for this to play out. Cincinnati fans wouldn't love that, but. Um, yeah, that was kind of a long-winded say, way of saying probably Cincinnati of the teams that are likely to be in there. Um, I don't think you want to play one of the SEC schools um, just because I think they're going to be really improved by the time you play them and what would be sometime in early January. I would love to play Cincinnati, would love to play Michigan, Michigan State, would love to play Notre Dame, would love to play Oklahoma State. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think any of those teams, if Oregon gets – uh, into the college football playoff with. I think every single one of them but Ohio State, Oregon's probably favored. Um, maybe Cincinnati is a, a two- or a three-point favorite from a Vegas perspective, but I think all of them are, are very beatable. Um, I think Alabama, if they play up to their potential, is very, very scary, would be a very tough matchup. But to Alabama standards, they're as beatable as they've been in a long time. Uh, Georgia is the one team where I I think you play Georgia 10 times, you might win one. Um, And that's the beauty of a playoff, though, is that it just takes one win. You don't have to beat them four times like in baseball or in basketball um, to advance to the next round. Um, So for me, it's basically anybody but the top two teams I would love to play. But uh, ideally, I would love a, a matchup if I'm Oregon against Cincinnati Michigan or Michigan State? I think this is a really easy answer. Uh, give me anyone in the top 10 except Georgia and Bama. Yeah, that's yeah, that's about it. I don't want to play Bama. Don't want to play Georgia at all. Um, I guess I'd, I guess if you had to, I'd pick Alabama over Georgia just because their offensive line woes have been really bad this year. I don't know how many Alabama games you guys have watched, but, man, they kind of get thrown around up there on the front. But, yeah, Georgia's a – Georgia's would not be fun to go against, um, especially with this offense. Uh, yeah. We just hype them up a lot. Um, Georgia shuts down anybody. So, and <laughs> they have absolute freaks on the defensive line, freaks in the secondary. Uh, I say freaks in just the most endearing way because, man, these players are good. So don't give me Georgia. But, uh, yeah, obviously Oregon has beat Ohio State, and they're, Ohio State's a much different team now than they were then, but as is Oregon. So, again, yeah. like to Eric's sentiment, I would love to see what it would look like in a couple weeks in January. Excuse me, not in a couple weeks. i got to stop doing that. In January, when, like, if they were to hypothetically meet in the Orange Bowl or whatever it is, um, Michigan, Michigan State, feed them to me. That's fine. 
especially Michigan. I think Michigan is going to be fraudulent towards the end of the year. Uh, use the F word, fraud. Cincinnati, don't don't buy into the hype there. They're a very solid football team, but man, they've struggled the last couple of weeks against Tulsa and Navy, and those aren't teams you really want to struggle against. Although I do think Tulsa's not bad, but Notre Dame, I don't think they're they're as good as their record indicates, and I don't think they're as good as their ranking indicates. Um, I actually kind of like Oklahoma State. I think they're a pretty solid football team. They're more physical than a lot of other Big 12 teams, but again, that's a team that's pretty far-fetched at this point to make it into the playoffs like I brought up earlier. Let's finish with a fun one from at Duck for Quacks. Long-time listeners know when he throws a question, I usually it's kind of got a little bit of fun sentiment to it. This one is pretty good. What what has the better visual quality? The ESPN cameras are watching from Spencer's Butte with the telescope. Also, is ESPN doing us a solid, making the game so unwatchable that the committee just had to take our word for it that we are playing <laughs> like a playoff contender? Not a bolts. Bringing the fire to end the show from Duck for Quacks up. Uh, we got a lot of questions about cameras and officiating, so I just chose the most fun, funly worded one, which was this one by a pretty wide margin. Not to slight the other questions, but this was just pretty good. Um, having now rewatched the game, um, pretty bullshit. It, what's that? Pretty bullshit. Yeah. Uh, well, I was just gonna say I wasn't gonna say those words, but I I would uh, co-sign that sentiment as well, Matt. But having rewatched it, like. In, at the stadium, I didn't realize how bad the camera looked. It's it was pretty. It's pretty embarrassing. So bad. It's pretty embarrassing. That's what it looks like. It's pretty embarrassing. The broadcasters just didn't seem like they knew had any clue what was going on the entire game. Um, a couple of times when the officials made calls that looked pretty obvious, although that was, sometimes they didn't make the right call even when it was obvious. But it seemed like the announcers were just like stunned by what had taken place. So like ESPN brought a. It's worse broadcasters, didn't bring enough cameras. John Canzano of the Oregon had a great story that I recommend you taking a look at in terms of the the kind of the scopes and the specs of what usually happens with the broadcast, how many cameras they use, what what's going on from a spotter perspective, what's going on from a, uh, I think what was the other one, a, a stage manager, some sort of manager wasn't present, all these kind of things that were, they, they basically phoned it in here. This is the equivalent of showing up to your, your, your you know, your, your college midterm exam did kind of a brief run through right before didn't bring a pencil have to ask your neighbor for one if you didn't bring your calculator you're kind of you're, you know you're having to do mental math i mean it was just kind of like they were not prepared for this and it shows in the part that is frustrating here it doesn't just bite the broadcast it bites the overall game because as we've now established espn didn't bring enough cameras didn't have a better angle and oregon should have scored a touchdown with anthony brown i'm pretty confident that was wiped off the board that could mean something in these style points conversations, although we just established maybe those aren't that imperative anyway. Um, and then to the second question, guys, uh, is it is it beneficial that ESPN does such a bad job broadcasting this game so that the committee can't see what is actually taking place? Because I actually argue the opposite of... I would too. It, it, especially in this last one, there's actual evidence of like if ESPN broadcasts the game more effectively, the officials probably have a better angles to look at and make a, the right calls in some of these instances where they just don't have the right angles. So I think it's doing the opposite. Um, funny question. I think what we're, everybody right now is reacting to is just, you've got to be frustrated that you've got a team like Oregon that's trying to make a college football playoff run and they're getting treated like they're like a JV caliber program that is just getting the minimum effort from ESPN when ESPN is supposed to be an unbiased, you know, it's just frustrating. 
I don't know. I don't have a good way to say. I, I was going to go off on a tangent. I don't want to go too far because you know it's ESPN. We work we're technically owned by CBS. We work through them, so I don't want to start some sort of blood war here. But like, and our podcast probably isn't going to do that anyway. I, I just you can't help but feel like Oregon's kind of getting screwed over right now by something that is so far out of their control and that frankly shouldn't have the ability to really play that big of an impact in their college football playoff run. But yet here it is. The playoff, George Klaikoff needs to be on the phone every single day calling ESPN executives until they scream, enough, we'll fix this, sorry. Because it could cost Oregon, and it could cost all 11 other teams in the conference and the conference headquarters millions of dollars if Oregon misses out because ESPN didn't follow through with the the, the budgeted amount of spotters cameras quality cameras cameramen for this game because what what if what if the anthony brown touchdown that should have been a touchdown but was ruled a fumble because they couldn't overrule it because they didn't have enough camera angles what if that was a turning point and washington state returned right. it back for a touchdown and Oregon walks out of Oxford Stadium with a three-point win over Washington State. Let's just say that plays out. Well, the, committee, the, the, the committee could come out and say, yeah, they won, but they played like crap. And right. and we're going to drop them down. And it's like, well, wait a second. Like, we like, we scored, and the, the refs didn't have the advantage of camera angles to review the play correctly. And it, this, this sequence never should have happened. Like – this has happened far too many times. And at Stanford, the camera angles were, were really terrible. The quality was really terrible. And the officiating, Oregon put themselves in a position to be here, but the officiating cost them a game already this season. And if, if I'm George Klaikoff, the Pac-12 commissioner, I'm, I'm up in arms. And I understand there is a very fine line of maneuvering and posturing and you don't want to piss off people that are paying you millions of dollars every year for your TV deals. But at the same time, you need to put some public pressure on your TV partners to say, hey, you know what? We have a team that's in the playoff. It's in your best interest to put forth the best product possible to promote this team because they're going to be more than likely one of the teams and your biggest moneymaker all year. Yeah. So – I'm writing about this for the my machinations column this week, which should be up by the time people listen to this podcast. But this is ridiculous. Like I'm over the moon about this and just the, the worst way possible. Um, Timothy Burke had a had a had a tweet like, during the game during Oregon's game where he took a screen grab or screenshot from the Ole Miss AM game and compared it to the Oregon and Washington State game. And it's just night and day. It's really, really telling, obviously, who ESPN cares about. And, I, again, I kind of understand because they're trying to make money and that's kind of the world we live in. And, you know, it is what it is. But this is, this is number three Oregon. This is a playoff team if the season ended tomorrow. This is the best team on the West Coast. So not only is the, the camera angle tomfoolery and all of that and the, the B-roll truck and or the B truck in general, but also they're putting Oregon against Washington state at seven 30 PM Pacific standard time. 
They didn't kick off until 7.40 on ESPN News, mind you, which is 10.40 on the Eastern Seaboard. I can tell you that nobody was up watching Oregon at 10.40 p.m. And if, if people, you know, hypothetically my age aren't watching it because we're still young enough to stay up late, I guarantee you the College Football Playoff Selection Committee wasn't watching it. And if they watched the first half, which is – you know, which ran another hour and a half during the game. So then it's already midnight on the Eastern seaboard. Then they, then they saw Oregon perform pretty bad. <laughs> they went to bed knowing that it was a 14 to 14 game. And the second half Oregon really dominated Washington state. And I guarantee you a bunch of people just didn't actually watch it because yep. they were asleep. It was two o'clock on the Eastern seaboard by the time the game ended. So this is another ESPN issue, and, and honestly, overall, it's a Pac-12 issue because no one in the Pac-12 is good enough. But this is the, the best team on the West Coast that it has been for the last couple of years. They're in a playoff potential again. And they're sitting here at 1030 where most of America lives on the East Coast. So nobody can actually watch them. It's ridiculous. It's it's a whole it, – honestly, it stinks from the from the head – and that's the Pac-12, and it's not – I just blame Larry Scott. That's just <laughs> There you go. That's the, that's yeah. the one just one thought After I had. After my tangent, yeah. Before we wrap, I just wanted to make one point of that you mentioned just kind of the lack of visibility nationally. It comes across on a listening to podcasts from a national perspective covering – Oregon, I'm not going to throw out the podcast I've listened to. There's just a, a blatant disregard for Oregon as being a viable playoff candidate. Most seem to just think Oregon's definitely going to lose, so they're not going to matter. There's a couple that don't seem to I've listened to. And again, maybe I'm spending too much time listening to the wrong podcast. So if you've got a great podcast, I, I, I do listen to Josh Pate's Late Kick. I think he does a good job. He's a 247 man, so of course I'm probably going to give him a little bit of buzz. But in general, if you have other national podcasts that are giving Oregon respect, send them my way because everyone I listen to, they don't seem to know any of the players on the team. And there just seems to be a sense that that Oregon's just going to lose because they're not very good and they haven't been playing very well this season. I mean, how long did we listen into after the Washington game when we were driving back from Seattle? We listened to like 40 minutes. And again, I'm not going to name the podcast. And they mentioned Oregon once to basically be like, yeah, they'll probably lose. And that was the only mention of the number three team in the country, recapping a very impressive point, you know, 10 point win. You know, in Seattle. The issue is that most of the national people, you know, live on the East Coast, just like most people in the country. And they've only seen two Oregon games. They saw Oregon beat Ohio State at noon Eastern Standard Time. And they saw Oregon lose to Stanford at 4 you know, p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Oregon UCLA game was also UCLA game was also a 12:30 kick. And that was that True. was the 18 on ABC. Right. But so I'm pretty that's sure that game also involved a, a big SEC matchup at the exact same time. I'm pretty sure. Right. So it's just that yeah, the national buzz isn't there because the Pac-12 and doesn't put them in a position to get there. Well, and, it's, you know, it's just it's how it happens to be. It's like a lot like what I told Eric, I think, right before the game started against Washington State, is the 7.30 kickoff should be slotted for the league's, like, number two or number three team in the conference. And to exactly what Jared is saying, your number one team in the conference, your playoff caliber team, your team that's projected to make the college football playoff should not be kicking off at 730. Like, I, I understand TV networks want to put a product on the, on, on the TV 
late at night. And so they can say all week or all, all day on Saturday, their halftime shows, their pregame shows, their postgame show before the next game that, hey, and keep and, and remember, we still got this team coming up. They're going to be playing. But that works when you can say, hey, we've still got top 25 Utah on the road against an Arizona team who's trying to pull off the upset. Like that fits that time slot at 7.30 at night. Not this, I'm not trying to argue Arizona needs to be on ESPN every single night, but this Oregon, when, when you're a top five team, you should be playing what we've seen a couple times this year. I'm quite surprised how often we've seen Oregon play at 12.30 or 4.30. And we're, we're getting a 4.30 kick this, this weekend. And there's a good chance Next weekend's Oregon State game is either 12.30 or 5 o'clock. And those are the times when you should be playing. You're, you're, if you're a top five team, you should not be playing uh, at 10.30 East Coast time. Agreed. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for submitting your questions, as always. Uh, until Tuesday's show, when we've got a recap from Mario Cristobal, Joe Moorhead, uh, and Tim DeRuiter. Uh, we'll talk to you then. Until then, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you there, folks. Peace. Peace.